Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, WCC, let's go ahead and turn to Leviticus 14, if you'll open there with me. We will be covering 14 and 15 together today. I'm going to have to be going really, really fast because we, we talked a lot, which is good. Like, I almost don't want to preach just after the blessing of seeing us love one another, pray for one another, read scripture together. But then I get this close to the book of Leviticus and I feel like I'm ready now. Um, before I do begin the sermon, uh, I do want to say thank you on behalf of my home. Last week I wanted to, um, but Amber was at home. And then today she is in the nursery, but I'm going to force her to listen to this sermon because it's going to be scary. And I want her to comfort me after she listens to it. So she will, <laughs> she will hear me speak on our behalf. Uh, many of you know that we have brought two new ones into our house. That's so going to become more permanent come the end of July and August. We don't know if that will be forever or if it will be weeks, months. Um, but so many of you all have given to us in a variety of ways. Some of you have been able to do so financially, uh, with gift cards, watching children, um, exposing us to grants that are available, helping us do construction in our home. We had to close up two doorways and then create a new one through our kitchen. Um, thankful just for the many blessings, words of encouragement. Um, thank you. Thank you. So we're going to be in Leviticus 14. Uh, we're looking at how Israel can be restored after leprosy. So if, if you remember that 11 through 15 deals with issues of being unclean. This does not always mean this is a moral issue here. There are some things on our earth that just simply make an individual unclean. And Israel has to know how are we to live before a holy God who is clean, who is righteous, who is good. And it's inappropriate for Israel to go to the tabernacle or even to dwell in the camp if they are unclean. So they're going to look, we're going to find this morning how they can make their way back from the wilderness, from chaos, from death, and re-enter the camp if they have gone through the trial of leprosy. They're having leprosy, and, and we talked about this last week, um, this is a very broad term used. This could be a variety of skin issues. We don't need to go through all of them, but some might include baldness and some redding, some flaking of skin. Uh, this doesn't always mean Hansen's disease where the nerve endings are dying and it's uh, extremely contagious. But the Lord will provide a way for Israel to come back after this has been resolved. Through scripture, I believe Yahweh is presented as a God who pursues his people, rescues them from their enemy, washes them clean, and places beloved in covenant. In early chapters, we have learned how the sins of the people are to be addressed 
We've looked at the five different offerings that Yahweh has given his people. And through 11 and 15 of Leviticus, God explains how Israel are to be clean, set apart, and how they're to be reconciled back to God, if defiled. So the outline of this chapter, let's get excited. This isn't a disease. This is becoming clean from a disease. Verses 1 through 32, these are steps taken when healed of leprosy. Then we find 33 through 53, how one cares for one's home. And then 54 through 55, uh, just a brief summary. We're going to be going fast today. If you want to slow down and talk about infections or bodily discharges later on, uh, which we'll cover in 15 today, I'm at the playground. I'm the guy with six kiddos who can barely breathe, okay? <laughs> Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. She shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if there is a case of leprous disease, if the leprous case is, is healed the lepr- in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed. And stop there. So first notice, someone discovers I'm clean, something's clearing up. Woohoo! I think I can return back home. Well, the first step is, okay, slow down. The priest is going to go somewhere to meet you. And one scholar among us, Bob Walker, I didn't ask to bring your name up, um, he brought something to mind, and it's not embarrassing, brother, because it's really helped me. The fun task of some priests was to examine people. It, the, the, the job of the priest wasn't just really cool vestments, T-bone steak, and people singing his praises. Like the role of a pastor isn't just to get a really amazing paycheck to wear nice clothes and to just drink coffee and be in their study sometimes that happens that's not all bad either Um, but the job of the priest is to examine some gross stuff sometimes sometimes the priest had to go outside of the camp to an area that represents death and chaos and uh, and distance from the lord You might not be called to be an elder. You might not be called to be a deacon. But faithful ministry to God's people often takes you out into the wilderness. If you live out a faith where you are always in a self-bubble, you should be challenging yourself. How are you edifying the saints? How are you loving one another? How are you ministering to others and not just ministering to yourself? I don't have time for illustrations because we're going to do two chapters. As the priest is faithful in meeting with the leprous person, Yahweh now presents three steps of cleaning that restore privileges to the outcast. So there is a slow insulation of an individual after they've been diseased to go back in. There's a process. You don't just walk right into the camp and go to the tabernacle and present a sacrifice to Yahweh who is holy. So the first step we see in verse 4 through 8, they are brought into the camp. Verse 4, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop 
And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Now, you might be able to Google image this, okay? I am not going to illustrate to you what this might look like because I like Google, but I, I don't trust it, and I don't say that I can say that this is how they take all these elements and perform this ritual. And we're in the New Testament. If you have a skin disease, don't go and kill a bird, okay? Go to a doctor. If you notice, these chapters do not tell you how to be healed, And that's a big deficiency in this law. It doesn't tell you how to be healed. It tells you how you can be clean. So they take two birds. One's to serve as a sacrifice. The other's to be sent out. Cedar wood that we know in the Bible is used. One of the interesting facts about it is it doesn't rot. Scarlet yarn is used most likely to tie some of these utensils together. I don't know in which way. Hyssop is used oftentimes to spread blood. Last time this is mentioned in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is during Passover when hyssop was dipped, branches were dipped in the blood of a lamb and spread over the doorposts. Hyssop usually is used to sprinkle and to spread blood, to set something apart. And we also find that there is fresh water that is brought. So the leprous person was to kill the bird, drain its blood into this vessel of water. So why, why are we using the water though? And I don't think it's very symbolic. It does need to be clean. What you bring before the Lord must be clean. But if you look at, at a bird, it doesn't have a lot of blood. It just practically doesn't. So they take this blood and they allow it to filter into the water, and it allows that blood to be spread further. So it kind of multiplies it. Verse 7. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean, and he shall let the living bird go into the open field. So symbolically, the uncleanliness of the individual will be transferred to the bird who will then travel outside of God's presence and the camp of the people. In addition, the person will be receiving seven sprinklings of this water-blood mixture. And I want to talk a lot about that now, but we're going to talk a lot about that later in a couple weeks when I am in uh, chapter 16 and we go through that together. But we see that the sickness, the disease, the death that was threatening or hovering over this individual now symbolically is placed on something else and it is taken away. A lot of theological significance there. Now we see in verse 9 they are able to approach the tabernacle. On the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, that hurts for me to think, and his eyebrows. And he shall shave off all his hair, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. It's as if this individual is removing his sickness 
and being reborn. He has lost citizenship as he has been placed outside of the camp because of this uncleanliness. Remember, this is not a moral issue. Having eczema is not a moral issue. Having leprosy is not a moral issue. But because of this sickness that has touched them, they have been removed, they have lost citizenship, but now they are being washed clean and they are to, in one sense, almost take the form of a baby. We see in verse 10 through 20, they fully re-enter society. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, and a grain offering, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. So there are four sacrifices that are to be offered in this. You, re- you realize there is not this, this quickness here. There, there is days of waiting. There are, there's potentially getting closer. There are offerings to be made. Verse 11, And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed in these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with a log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. That means the priest gets to actually enjoy a meal here. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him, who is to be cleansed, and the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. We saw this previously done when the high priests were being installed. When Aaron and his sons were being set apart for their ministry, Yahweh instructed that their earlobe, that their thumb, that their big toe be covered in blood. This is to remind them that they are to hear And understand the word of God. That their hand is to be an instrument in serving God and neighbor. That their foot, that the way in which they walked was to walk in the path of light and of truth of the Lord. And this individual, as they are being reborn into the family, they are to be set apart and reminded of this. Verse 15, then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it on the palm of his left hand and dip his right finger in the oil that is in the left hand and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on top of the blood of the guilt offering. So this person is to be anointed with oil and with blood. I imagine that's a very powerful moment and experience. And honestly, when I read this at first glance, it sounds so obscure and so boring. But when you, when you slow yourself down in God's word, we're in Leviticus, beloved. 
It's amazing where I find comfort in God's goodness, intentionality. It's amazing where I find the gospel when I slow myself down. So this person receives a double anointing. Verse 18, and the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him. It was to be cleansed. It's like, do you have a leftover? Now, brother, we're going to just anoint you. We're going to just throw it on top of you. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanliness. And afterwards, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus, the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. Just because someone is dirty does not mean they cannot be restored. Again, this is not because of a moral issue, but beloved, hear me. If you are wrestling with a moral issue, with a moral failure, God is a God of reconciliation. The Lord provides a way. Let me encourage you, go forward with it, with endurance. Sometimes for one to be clean, it took weeks or months. We also know in Leviticus, there's no healing here. Sometimes not everything is fixed perfectly. But the Lord provides a way. Israel has a priest. We have uh, further provisions of the poor. I'm not going to read all of that, which hurts me, but you can do so. Um, It's going to be 21 through 32. I'm going to read 21 and uh, 22. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived, to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and a log of oil. Also, two dural doves and two pigeons, whatever he can afford. We'll stop there. Whatever he can afford. So this is teaching us It is not your money that saves you. It is not the priest here that saves them. It is not the sacrifice. It is not the ritual. It is God. There is a formula. There is instructions to be obeyed and observed. But beloved, it is the Lord. Seek after his will. Follow in obedience Submit to his authority and trust on his grace. You are not as graceful as God, and sometimes that's a hiccup. How can he forgive? Beloved, you might have a hard time forgiving. You you might have a hard time forgetting and forgiving the Lord. He is able. He is powerful. Then we have cleansing of one's home in verse 33 through 53. And I'm going to summarize this because we're doing two chapters today, okay? It's going to happen. So Moses and Aaron are given instructions on what they are to do if some things in the home occur. If something grows and is found to be red or green, how do we treat that? Because they, they want to live clean before the Lord. They don't want it to spread Certain advice is given if something is porous, that means it can absorb things, 
They're to throw it out and they're to break it. If something can be cleaned like wood, it is to be washed. Everything is to be emptied. There's a period of time in which they are to remove themselves from their tent. And the priest is to examine it. So it can be restored. Now we're going to turn to Leviticus 15, and this is where we wake up. So this chapter deals with uh, bodily function. Uh, This deals with uh, different discharges. So in verse 2 through 15, it speaks of an, an abnormal male discharge. And then 16 through 18, more of a normal male discharge. 19 through 24, a normal, male, uh, normal form of discharge for the female. And then 25 through 30, an abnormal discharge for females. So this is something that's not very comfortable that we talk about in our culture. Um, thanks be to God. Uh, my daughter, my, I have a 12-year-old that is conveniently helping my wife in the nursery and I can't force her because there's five others with my wife right now and she's not used to managing them yet. She's, she's a lightweight. You have to laugh at that. That is sarcasm, okay? Uh, but these are important parts. These are intimate parts uh, to be discussed. How can one be made clean when something so personal and central to you is happening? So we find... Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of the uncleanliness of his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge. It is his uncleanliness. So the issue is life, we're to be people that produce life and hold life, but if you are leaking uncontrollably, life is leaving you. If you are not functioning properly and are left with infection, it's because something is going wrong with you. There there is war within your body, medically speaking. So this removes someone from the presence of God. This can be an issue for a home, as usually the man is the one that leads the family in worship at the temple. So if he is on sabbatical, that places spiritual strain on the family. When do we go to the temple? Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean. And everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with this discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. So this discharged issue is not something like seven days and then an eighth day. This is an evening issue. Wash yourself and at the end of the day you are clean. And this is symbolic. This is not a 12-hour or a 24-hour type of deal. If you brush against someone's shoulder, wrestling with this 
discharge issue, say at 4.30 in the afternoon, bathe yourselves, come evening, you can fellowship again. I'll try and leave some of the details um, behind, okay? Verse 8, and if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. I don't know why verse 8 is there. I don't know who's spitting on people who has weird discharges. Beloved, it's in your Bible. It's in, that should wake you up. Maybe highlight that and just say, whoa, okay? <laughs> Spiritual application. Don't got one. We're going to keep going. And any saddle on which the one with the discharged rise shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. So basically the thing comes down to if you touch anything from this person, you need to remove yourself. You can be unclean by association in contact with this. That's life. There's just some sticky situations. Young children, I probably have your ear if you understand what I'm talking about. There are some situations that are just not clean. Use wisdom, use discernment. When you don't know what to do, the Lord has given you family members and believers that can guide you through situations that are bizarre. Maybe not as bizarre as someone with a discharge spitting, but they can still help and assist you in a way walking. Thank you, Jeff. Walking in a way that honors the Lord. So we're going to go ahead to a 13, skip uh, 11 and 12. One with a discharge is cleansed of his discharge. He shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes. And he shall bathe his body with fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priests. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering or purification offering. We looked at this in Leviticus 4. And the other for a burnt offering, which is mentioned previously in Leviticus 1 or 6. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. So notice, the priest does not examine the body, thanks be to God. In that intimate, embarrassing, humbling situation, the priest does not have to examine. And after a period of seven days for the person with this disease has passed, on the eighth day, they are to provide the least financially demanding sacrifice. That's just good. They don't have to slay something that is overly costly. We have in verse 16 through 18, more normal male discharges. If a man has an omission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. This is nocturnal emission. Uh, very simple, you are to wash everything, keep yourself clean. But verse 18 speaks of marital relations. If a man lies with a woman and has an omission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. So it is good that man and woman come together. Life is leaving man, however. And so they are to simply keep themselves set apart when this happens. 
now we have normal female discharges. And I almost don't want to say normal female discharges, and I don't mean that in a funny way, but I'll explain that a little bit further. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. Going a little bit further in 20, everything also on which she sits shall be unclean, and whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe. Young children and teenagers, God will grant you you grace, it's okay. 24, and if a man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and, uh, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. So if a husband and a wife come together during that particular time, they are to make sure that they, are, they remain clean, that they isolate themselves for a period of seven days, that they don't rush into the tabernacle believing they are clean. No, they must, they must um, abstain. Now, uh, this is, in a lot of commentaries, mentioned as normal discharge for a woman. Um, I want you to think about this, though. Uh, this, this regular cycle was not, I don't think, as common back during ancient Israel. Usually, women married very, very young. And not only did they marry very, very young, they also nursed their child probably from ages two or three, that, that's, that kind of interrupts that, that cycle. And then on top of that, it was desired and natural in their day to have very large families. For this to revisit them wouldn't be as common for them as I think it is in our day, where we do things a lot differently. We have formula. We have 2.3 children in the home. Um, we don't get married as young. If you told me my 15-year-old or 16-year-old daughter is getting married, I might call someone to make sure everything's okay at your house. Different culture, okay? Different culture. And then we have the uh, abnormal female discharge. We have almost made it, beloved. Okay, we are almost done. You can go home, you can wash yourself, you can weep and wail, or write Jeff an email, okay? We're almost done. 25 through 30. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not in the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanliness. Let's go to 28. But if she is, un, but if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. So when she realizes things have changed, She sets aside seven days, and on the eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one of his sin offerings and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Verse 31 through 33 then just summarizes mostly what we have read. We have found that the Lord provides a way, even in the most humbling circumstances, to make us clean. We're we're insufficient of keeping ourselves without sin. We're incapable of keeping ourselves ceremonially clean. Leviticus points us to a profound need that we have. Right now, we're praying for Mr. 
Goodwill? Is that it? Yeah. All good, Mr. All Good. We're praying for Miss Judy. Uh, we're praying to Harlan for your mom. There are physical things we desire and hope God to care for. Just like Israel, there are physical things in which we wait and we long. The gospel is a witness of the importance of Jesus as we travel through Leviticus. When it comes to the dietary laws in Mark 7, Jesus shows with his authority that it is not what goes into the body, but what goes out of the body. It reveals the heart and the intent, the morality of one. Jesus is shown as a righteous child born to righteous parents in Luke 2, as Mary and Joseph are faithful in presenting their child before the priest. In the miracles of Jesus, we find that our Lord heals leprous individuals. We find the significance of that in Leviticus 13 and 14. As he touches them, as he shares he is willing, and as he encourages them to go forward in the Lord's instruction, Jesus provides healing. Another scholar among us, Gideon, where are you at, Gideon? He's in the back. I was talking with Topher briefly, and he says, oh, Gideon has something to share about Leviticus 14. I'm thinking, no way. And I can't quote the theologian Gideon. But basically, that scholar back there mentions that Jesus even cleans the home, and as he goes to the temple, and he purifies it, how it's become a place of exchange and not a house of prayer. Jesus brings us cleanliness, but also eternal benefits, and he washes our sins. Don't turn there, but I'm going to read Titus 3, 4 through 6. When the goodness of the loving kindness of God, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. John 1, 1, 9, we read um, 8 and 9 this morning. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, we have a joy that we have been forgiven, but also we have a great hope in the resurrected life to come. For those that are sick in this hour, they have a hope in the power of the resurrected life, as well as assurance of forgiveness, those who place their trust in Christ. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, you are so good to your people. Father, I thank you that you saved the soul and that when Christ returns, you will transform all these ailments that we wrestle with and grant us true peace. 
Be with us now as we wait in our trial. We thank you so much, Jesus, how you minister to us as a high priest. It's in your name we pray. Amen.